This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Hello and welcome to another installment of the COVID Report, a show that is dedicated to providing you with comprehensive coverage and factual information of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Karabo Asala, and our guest today on the COVID Report to help us unpack this relevant topic of COVID-19 and its impact on our education system is Ms. Ntiki Trulani, the head of Equal Education Western Cape. Equal Education is a movement striving for equality, and quality in South Africa's education system. With more than 30 million cases of COVID-19 reported worldwide, education is still one of the most affected sectors. Mr. Lani, thank you so much for being our guest at this time. We know that water and sanitation and hygiene have emerged as an issue of particular concern when considering schools reopening. So what would you say are some of the support and prevention measures that key stakeholders in the government can implement to make sure that children in rural areas are also accommodated and that the gaps that we find are bridged. Thank you, Karaba. Thank you for having Equal Education and the call. I want to greet the listeners and everyone during these trying times. I think firstly, you are speaking about a big thing that's saying COVID and the different issues that you were mentioning in your introduction has actually highlighted a lot of inequality, specifically within our education system. And not only the curriculum part of it, but actually tangible things like water and sanitation in schools, school infrastructure, and other various issues. But also, you're also speaking about important things of like dropping out during this time because sometimes of the issue of accessibility, but also because of the issue of the existing inequality that has been faced within the education system. For the past 13 years, Equal Education has been fighting for a law to be implemented that is called Minimum Norms and Standards for School Infrastructure. This is a law that is binding the the DBE and the government to actually, which is the Department of Education and the government, to actually make sure that they eradicate pickling toilets, especially in rural provinces. We know that provinces like Limpombo, KZN, and Eastern Cape are still subjected into pickling toilet. By now, the law said by now the pit latrine toilet should have been eradicated. And this is the sanitation that we're speaking about. We know that years ago, 2014 and 2016, we've seen young learners in the primary school phase drowning in those pit latrine toilet and passing away in the process of them getting this education. And it's been actually a serious issue during this time. And equal education is organized in five different provinces. And one of the provinces that is called Ilimbombo, their actual campaign is actually sanitation because it is the biggest issue within the rural provinces and even in other provinces, you know. But we believe that if the DBE and the government can actually implement and take the minimum um, the minimum norms and standards for school infrastructure seriously and implement that and hold themselves accountable in that binding law, they will be able to make change. Now, you mentioned something really concerning about so many schools in South Africa still using piddler train toilets. So my follow-up question to you is directed at the bit you mentioned about the legislature that 
your organization is currently working on. How far are mm-hmm. you with that? What is the progression in terms of actually getting that gazetted and getting us to implement such laws in the country? Mm. So we won this case victory of the minimum norms and standards for school infrastructure after years of like fighting. And when I mean fighting, I don't actually mean the physical fight. I mean doing protests, going outside the DBE, occupying spaces to actually express the frustration and the importance of having such law in South Africa. And in 2013, we actually won this law in the Bishwai Court. But within the years, also the law had its own loopholes and we had to take it back to court in order for it to be fixed. And that has been the law itself, the DBE and the government set its own deadline. In 2016, the law was clear that there should be eradication of schools that are built with mud, eradication of schools that are built with asbestos and speak to the issue of pit latrine and sanitation. And what we've been doing each and every year, because we've won this victory on the 29th of November in 2013, each and every year on the 29th of November, we celebrate this victory, but also we remind the government that there's this law that is binding them, that they need to implement. Because one thing we've learned also about our government is that things are very beautiful in the black and white paper. When they have to come to the implementation phase, you get that the government is continuing to fail us. And when I'm speaking about fail, I'm going to make an example. In 2020, towards the end of the year, the government started cutting budget within the different departments within the government institution. And they actually put the department into two categories. They put the department into the frontline department, which they said the department was helping to fight COVID. And there was a donor department that was not really part of the department that were fighting COVID. And unfortunately, the Department of Education, they've put it in the category of the donor department. And they actually took 2.1 billion to put in other departments that were named frontline department. And this money was actually taken away from the infrastructure department. This actually started questioning us that what does this mean while we have a law that is binding that needs to be implemented? that in multiple years and in many years, the DPE and the government has been failing to actually implement this law. We know that in the Eastern Cape, we still have schools that are built of mud. We know that in Eastern Cape, Limpompo, KZN, we still have schools that have pit latrine toilet and the sanitation has been fixed. But we have in the same government deducting or taking money away from the Department of Education, specifically in the infrastructure department. And you ask yourself, is this an issue of they don't know how to spend on the issue of capacity or the issue of just not taking the law seriously during this time. But we know that things like minimum norms and standards doesn't affect the middle class in South Africa. It affects the working class and the marginalized communities that can't afford to actually take their learners or, or their children into so-called modest schools and better schools that have better resources and better accessibility. And this is very unfair, especially during this time, in the time of the COVID, where we've seen the importance of education and having not just any education, quality education beyond the curriculum, the infrastructure of the school, the education that is actually propelling learners to do what they want to do 
that is really eye-opening and provides a different perspective for someone who may not be aware. Maybe there's a parent listening right now and they're mm. concerned about the state of schools. And this is really, really concerning. You've really just highlighted a lot of the gaps that the government still needs to address. Now, mm. do you feel at this point, as an emergency intervention, that there's something that the government can perhaps do to support or to secure and extend the provision of water and sanitation services in these schools that do have a limited access to proper sanitation, rather? I think when the schools started opening last year, we started visiting schools, right, to find out what are the issues, because we would hear the government and the DBE specifically saying schools are ready to open, the PPEs are in schools, there's like red. And we know that in order to prevent yourself from getting COVID, you need to wash your hands, you need to make sure that the hygienic things are clean within the house, the school even, you need to make sure that there's sanitizers, there's, there's PPEs and all of that. And specifically in the water and sanitation, we believe that if the government can implement the minimum of the salaries, and not just implementing Garabo, I mean also not missing the deadlines, because what the government has been doing for the past more than seven years, they've been missing the deadlines of the implementation of minimum norms and school infrastructure. And if they didn't miss those deadlines, we wouldn't be faced with an issue of sanitation now. We wouldn't be faced with the issue of water now. Because also the minimum norms and standards speaks about different 2016 I'm speaking about the different things, sanitation, water, the infrastructure part of it. And 2020, speaking about the laboratories and things that can help a school to look like a school. And 2030 being the last day and last date and last year of the minimum norms and standards. And it's an actually, if I can explain a little bit more, it's a law that says what a school should be. What do you mean when you say it's a school? What a school should look like? What should a school have? in order for it to be identified as a school, right? And if the government can stop failing the same law that they actually um, um, adopted themselves, we wouldn't be having issues that we are having currently. And we believe that the government should actually have an emergency plan in schools that don't have water currently, in schools that don't have proper sanitation currently, and make sure that there's a provision that is being made for those schools to actually have those resources because they are important during this time. There are certainly important resources that every school should have, right from quintile one to quintile five. It's really disturbing to see how some schools are disadvantaged, not only because of the quintile that they fall into, but also the environment that the school is based in. And how can we ensure a safe environment for the return of schools? You mentioned that government keeps missing the deadline. Sometimes schools are not provisioned with this sanitation, with the sanitizers that they need, with the masks. And we do know that uh, these younger learners often struggle with this concept of social distancing. They simply don't understand why they should be keeping away from their friends. So how can we ensure that a safe environment for learners is maintained with these fluctuating COVID-19 regulations and in order for our academic year not to slip through our hands and also not to rely on the government, what are some of the things that we ourselves can do that don't necessarily involve the government to make sure that kids return to schools that are safer? I think that's a very important question. But before I get into that, I want to also say even with that, we shouldn't forget that the government also holds a very big responsibility here to making sure that 
there are PPEs in schools, making sure that learners have sanitizers and teachers, learners, teachers, and any staff member at school have sanitizers, have masks, these clear lines of this is a 1.5 meter that you should be in. And I want to say this is something that we really don't speak about more often when we speak about school readiness, especially during this time. Psychosocial support. That's something that we really don't speak about because we know that in schools, teachers are having to play different roles, right? Teachers are are having to play the role of being a teacher, but also the learner is not okay going through so much because we've seen how the pandemic had played within our communities because also schools are part of communities and communities are part of schools. There's no school without a community. There's no community without a school. So the community, the issues that are happening around communities, they affect learners who are within the school and teachers. And we've seen in many schools where teachers are having to play a role of being providing psychosocial support, being social workers and learners, but also being teachers this time. And I think part of it is that we can also include community members, something we've been doing towards the reopening of schools. We are not only organizing learners because we believe as equal education, we're a movement of teachers, learners, parents, and community members. We have a parent sector within our departments of equal education. What they would do, the parents, they would go into schools and check if schools are okay. Is they doing it voluntarily? So in making sure that schools are ready to reopen, is there any assistance they can assist teachers? It can be even in saying, can you do 1.5 um, centimeter? So in order for us to make sure that learners are safe, we also need to come together as a community and different stakeholders in making sure that learners are wearing masks, um, teachers are wearing masks, there's the social distancing, but also there's sometimes the broader issue of there are other issues of like overcrowding and those things. And that has played out differently because of the rotation system, right? But it also meant that that has created, you know, some sort of much work for teachers. But as communities, we can make sure that we work together with teachers and work together with the schools and try and assist where we can, because there's no school without a community and there's no community without a school. And the school is part of the community. And it is important for us into finding a better education to hold each other as these different stakeholder communities, the school itself, teachers, parents, into assisting, into making sure that learners are getting this quality education that they deserve is their right. I'm latching on to those words, that bit there where you said there's no school without a community and there is no community without a school. So I think it really just speaks to that saying we often mention in our dialogue as Africans that it takes a village to raise a child. And we've actually seen how COVID-19 has affected Mm -hmm. schools, how parents Mm -hmm. and children had to continuously adjust to these regulations. Now, my Mm. concern is that this will have long-lasting impacts, some that we may not realize today. So I'd like us to actually expand on that, to actually probe into what some of those long-lasting impacts of the unrest of learning is on our education system. I think that's that's a very important question. You know, already we shouldn't forget that we're existing within and education that was faced with so much inequality, right? And the issues that are actually highlighted by now the pandemic, these are not new issues. These are issues that have been existing for for the longest time and organizations like Equal Education have been demanding for these issues to be actually tackled by the government. 
And the saddest part is that this is actually exactly what you're saying. It's going to take long and can be the issue of the infrastructure. Now it means it's going to delay because of the pandemic. Issues of curriculum. Already we've seen the inequality within South Africa of of private schools sometimes reopening before public schools. And there's actually already a gap between the public and the private. We've seen the accessibility of working from home in a public school and working from home in a private school. Those are two different things. And they're two different communities, for goodness sake. It speaks to the issue of accessibility, speaks to the, and we've seen it, the issue of connectivity, that it's not only about having a tablet and an internet, it also speaks to the connectivity issue part of it. But it also speaks to the bigger issue of even not affording to have those things, right? Not affording to have connectivity in order for you to do the online learning during this time. So there are existing issues that are going to actually take long for them to be fixed because of the inequality that was already existing and the COVID-19 and the pandemic per se has highlighted and ironed them out and added more inequality in that the issue of online learning, the accessibility, the connectivity. How can you connect in an area where there's no even electricity, you know? How can you connect when you don't have anyone at home working. We know families have been retrenched during this time. Breadwinners were able to provide for the same learners are unable to do that because of the retrenchment that has happened in different companies and different jobs. And that is also contributing to the factor of education. And something maybe that we've done as equal education during this time is we did surveys at the beginning of the year towards the actual pandemic in, in, in May and June and started asking our learners, what is the biggest issue while you're at home that you're facing? And 90% of our learners responded in saying the food, the national school nutrition that is known as feeding scheme. It's one thing that has been highlighted multiple times to say, if I was a school as a learner during this time, I'll be able to get a meal. But now I'm unable to get a meal because there's no meal at home. There's no meal at home because there's no one that is working. There's no one that can actually provide that kind of thing. And we then as equal education wrote to the DBE. And unfortunately, we had to even take the DBE to court again to say, can we make sure that even when schools are closed, right? And when learners are doing the rotation system, they are able to actually get this meal because... For some of the learners, this is the only meal that they get a day because there's no accessibility to food in their own home. And we needed to understand the importance of food security during this time. So there are long existing issues that have been there that they're going to take long to be fixed that we need to keep on holding the government accountable for. But some of them coming together as community and finding solutions to it, you know. But there are long-standing issues that are still going to affect the marginalized communities and the public schools during the time. And they highlighted inequality that exists within the private and public schools. And learners in public schools are having to be the ones that are always catching up all the time. 
private schools being opened two weeks before the public schools, it means that the curriculum have moved already. It means that learners in those public schools are having to, having a catch-up plan, playing the catch-up all the time. And this is actually affecting their psychological, you know, they needing psychosocial support during this time. And we believe that some of the things that the Department of Education really need to look into, to providing psychosocial support, because it takes a lot from these learners and teachers to be playing this role during this time and being faced with these so many overwhelming inequalities that have already existed before the pandemic. Really insightful. And while trying to mitigate those effects, those long-lasting effects that you've just highlighted, supporting Mm -hmm. and improving the well-being of students should be a priority. In your answer to my previous question, you mentioned how some students spoke of food being an issue that they are facing when they're home. As we know, some learners eat at school through these food programs that are currently running Mm. schools. And some don't necessarily have access to these devices that they need to fully participate in this distance learning. Some don't have Mm. access to reliable high-speed internet when they Mm. need to continue studying. So now I want us to really touch on Perhaps something that is not often spoken about, you mentioned a psychosocial support to students, but I want us to focus on students with disabilities in particular, Mm. as I feel that this is something that's not often highlighted when we have these conversations. So what are some of the things that we can do to support students with disabilities who need specialized instruction, right? Mm. And all these other related services during these trying times. Um, maybe I can answer the question in general because we haven't worked with students with disabilities, but we believe as an education organization that every learner in South Africa deserves a right to education. Regardless of you are disabled or not, you deserve a right to basic education. And we believe that the same resources that public schools are actually getting the learners even with special need or, or disabled should be getting those and that should be prioritized. And I agree with you. And especially during this time, we've seen that the government hasn't been sort of like prioritizing schools with disabilities. And we believe as a college education that should be something that they also do because equally those learners have a right to a basic education. If there are any special needs that those learners need during this time and teachers, because we shouldn't also forget teachers and teachers should be getting and should be prioritized during this time. There certainly needs to be a lot of shifting around this discussion, but I really hope that it will be brought to the forefront of societal discourse moving forward. Yes. That is really something, yeah, it's really something we need to we need to engage with. Um and finally, my question to you then becomes what do you have to say about the issue of many pupils dropping out since the beginning of the pandemic? We've heard X amount of learners dropping out, maybe because they're not receiving the psychosocial support that you mentioned, mm. or they do not have access to these devices and they're overwhelmed. It might be a lot of contributing factors. And I want to also say it can be a lot, not only in schools, also maybe in communities, you know. We've been having some conversation with some of the learners, you know, having to say, 
I am having to maybe take the responsibility of my younger brother, making sure that they get to school and then I go to school. And we know that this exists within the marginalized communities, you know. And we need the government, you know, and maybe the communities to speak about what are the contributing effects of dropping out of school. We've had learners last year who drop out of school because they felt, and the majority of them were grade 12 learners, they felt it was overwhelming. It was too much for them. And when we ask questions of, did you speak to someone professional where you referred to a district or whatnot? And those kind of things, they said, we, we don't even know that we're supposed to be having a social worker in school. And those are contributing factors to this, that if you also don't have someone professional to speak to you and say, tell me, what are you overwhelmed about, you know? What can we do to make sure that you're able to balance whatever that is happening in your life and your schoolwork during this time? And that we need to normalize having psychologists in school for learners and teachers because what is actually affecting learners is equally affect teachers. And in the issue of dropout, we've seen many, 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 many learners dropping out of schools. And there's nothing that the Department of Education has done so far to actually tackle and speak to that issue. And that is something we really need to speak about. We can't just accept the fact that learners are dropping out of school and not do anything about that. And even the DBE not doing anything about it. We need to find the contributing factors to this and do better by them, but also finding them and making sure that it is a safe and motivating school environment. We've been doing different school visits in the Western Cape um, in the past week and different teachers and in different provinces, you know, and different teachers have been speaking about motivation, you know, learners have lost some motivation, teachers are overwhelmed during this time. And you can imagine what that can do. It can easily make a young person and a learner to drop out of school and learners and teachers are needing motivation during this time. And psychosocial support can be part of that motivation, knowing that there's someone who's doing follow-up on your story and what is happening. Because also what can happen at home can be overwhelming on itself. And coming into the school communities, there are a lot of contributing factors. The accessibility, the inequality that is every day highlighted when you're coming to school, that I'm coming in in a school that doesn't have resources, that doesn't have accessibility, but I'm also coming here to learn. And that is like contributing and the curriculum, you know, because there's the rush even within the curriculum, because the public schools at this point in time, as I said before, that they're playing the catch-up plan and making sure that they catch up in the curriculum. And it's coming at the cost of learners and it's coming at the cost of teachers. And that's something that the TBA really needs to find solution and providing psychosocial support and making sure that schools actually have accessibility and have access to psychologists during this time to be able to see these issues before they occurred and be able to find solutions to them and learners having someone to speak to when things are getting challenging in schools. Sure, there is really a lot that can be said about this issue of learners dropping out and how to assist them during this time. And I mean, we could go on, right? But in the interest of time, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being our guest on the show today. We certainly look yeah. forward to having you on as our guest in future. No, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I want to say as a closing remark that the education system should be better. It shouldn't be setting learners in public schools for failure because that is what the current system is doing. 
it is actually setting learners that don't have resources and accessibility into failure. And it is not fair. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being our guest on the show today. And I echo those very same sentiments. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or stream via www.vafm.co.za.